The content here is for informational purposes only, should not be taken as legal, business, tax, or investment advice, or be used to evaluate any investment or security, and is not directed at any investors or potential investors in any A16Z fund. For more details, please see a16z.com slash disclosures. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of 16 Minutes. This is our show where we cover what's in the headlines tech trends, tease apart what's hype, what's real, and where we are in the long arc of innovation. And today we're actually doing a quick take on the news that Jeff Bezos, the CEO and founder of Amazon, is leaving Amazon specifically. He's going to be executive chairman and will still remain Amazon's biggest shareholder. I think it was reported that he owns 10.6% of the company, according to filings. But, you know, he'll be working on other initiatives, which he kind of already was doing. And he had two deputies, including Andy Jassy, that he was working with. But even though he had pulled back a little bit, the pandemic really pulled him back into the company a year ago. And now he's not going to be CEO anymore. The new CEO is going to be Andy Jassy, who was formerly the president and CEO of Amazon Web Services. So joining us as our expert this week is a 6 and z general partner, former CTO and co-founder of Nicera, which was acquired by VMware, pioneer in all things software defined networking and writes a lot about cloud and data businesses is Martin Casado. Welcome, Martin. So happy to be here. Let's just talk really quickly about why we even care about this news. And we're not going to talk about Amazon itself as a company. There's plenty of analysis out there. What's really interesting to me is this broader wave of CEO transitions and kind of succession handoffs. The most recent one before this being Reed Hastings naming Ted Sarandos, who was formerly the chief content officer as co-CEO. And now we have Bezos handing the reins to Andy Jassy. Like, what does it signal about the company in future direction when you see these kinds of moves? I mean, in Netflix's case, it's that entertainment and content are central, not just technology, distribution, and ops. So what does it mean in this case? You know, the leader that's being selected is probably an indication on kind of the strategic vision of the organization. And to your point, we've seen a number of these transitions lately. I would actually like to focus on the enterprise ones because I know them better. We had Pat Gelsinger come into VMware in 2012. And then more recently to Intel, we had Satya in Microsoft. We had Chuck Robbins in Cisco. And in every one of these cases, where they came from was a bit indicative of the focus of the organization. So for example, with Pat, VMware at the time had been very focused at the application layer, but it was really in its roots a low-level infrastructure company. So when Pat came, he kind of refocused on these core roots. Satya, very notably, was the EVP of cloud and enterprise before taking the reins. And clearly, this has been a strategic focus for Microsoft. And it's interesting to note that Jassy as well comes from the cloud side, right? On the other hand, if you look at like Chuck Robbins and Cisco, you know, Chuck Robbins ran sales. You know, John Chambers was very famous as salesperson. And so in this case, I think that you can read that things are going very well and it's not a massive change in strategy and things are going to be run like they were previously. So one quick note before we probe a little further into some of the points you raised. Is this the first time that a CEO, besides Satya, an example, but like an enterprise business unit is kind of running what's also a retail company? Has that even worked before, actually? I am always very hard-pressed to find any company that has ever executed on both consumer and enterprise. I think AWS may be one of the only examples. I mean, you do have these kind of companies that are a little bit more legacy that had circuitous routes, right? So you can think of Microsoft started as very much kind of a consumer with Windows 95, and it was on all of our desktops. But the bulk of the business now really is enterprise, right? You've got kind of barnacles like 
you know, Xbox, which are meaningful businesses. But again, the bulk tends to be enterprise. And in the case of Amazon, you've got this massive retail business, but you also have, you know, a iconic industry leading massive enterprise business. And they're both under the same roof. And you can't really say that of any other company, not that I can think of anyways. And so I do think it's very meaningful that, you know, Jassy comes from the B2B side, the cloud side to run the retail. What you just said, Martine, is interesting because in a way it might ease a transition for someone like Jassy, who is so aligned with Bezos. He shadowed him. He was there almost as long as he was. And so even though he's an insider, because he was the head of AWS for so many years and had a great hand in starting that, he has his own identity in a sense, which many insiders don't. Yeah, so I think it's worth actually talking about the give and takes of these types of transitions. So a CEO transition can be very disruptive. And having somebody that's already internal, but has a separate business unit, they have their own identity, to your point. They understand the company, the company understands them, the white blood cells aren't going to go against them. So clearly it's less disruptive. On the other hand, it's much harder to fix existing broken things because you already have ownership of them. So for example, one thing that often happens when external CEOs come in is because they were not responsible for what may or may not be broken, they normally do the same thing that presidents do in the first 100 days and just do some pretty significant cleanup, right? They'll reset expectations, they set a new direction. And it's much easier to do that if you weren't part of the decision machinery that brought you to the current spot. And so I would say it suggests almost incremental focus and strategy and emphasis, as you will. Like, for example, enterprise is going to be an emphasis for Amazon. Whereas when you bring an external CEO, I think there is a big statement that things need to be cleaned up. It's also, by the way, very interesting because you actually, Martine, have written about title fetishization and the pros and cons and trade-offs of that. I think it's really fascinating that actually in Andy Jassy's case, his title where he started off as president of Amazon Web Services was actually CEO of Amazon Web Services, like really cementing that this was an independent, strong business unit in its own right. Like it's not just a GM, you know? It actually makes one wonder if this is because AWS is almost an independent company. I mean, like retail is retail and it's consumer and there's a certain margin profile and a certain go-to-market profile. It's a certain type of company. And selling infrastructure to enterprise for IT is just an entirely different thing. And so I do think that this was an early and very smart acknowledgement that this is a very different type of business. And this is, again, I just think that it's so remarkable that Amazon has been able to crack Retail. And enterprise. B2B enterprise. It's awesome. Right. And just to underscore this before moving on to this actual trend of cloud, I just want to emphasize when you say these two separate businesses, we are talking about separate go-to-market motions, separate organizational structures to set that business up for success, separate sales teams, separate customer success models, like separate everything, ways of doing things. So the idea of treating them as two independent business units under the same banner. I mean, honestly, it makes me think of Amazon as more of a conglomerate, really, than even a single company. Exactly. So for example, in VMware, I ran the network and security business unit. I had my own PL, I was a GM, you know, I led the entire thing. However, our go-to-market was very similar to the core go-to-market or the other BU's go-to-market, right? And so we would have to cooperate very closely with the core sales team and the other BU's when we're doing packaging or pricing or sales, et cetera. So there's just a lot of collaboration. This is the case with Cisco. They're very notorious about this. For enterprise in general, the business units, even though you have separate P&Ls, you may even go after separate budgets and separate profiles, you normally have kind of lift or at least alignment with the broader go-to-market. 
I just don't know if there's any overlap between enterprise infrastructure and retail. <laughs> you know, they just couldn't be more different. And so I think this is like one of these examples of a company that's truly walking and chewing gum, which is just so unusual. So now let's quickly talk about, you know, again, the premise of this show is to tease apart what's hype, what's real, where we are on the long arc of innovation. We've covered sort of some of the things that we think are interesting and paying attention to. Let's really just quickly talk about the tech trend involved cloud and enterprise and specifically the future of cloud. So, you know, I just did a podcast actually with two authors of a new book on Amazon, which you can find on the main show feed. And it includes the origin story of Amazon Web Services, not just being about storage and compute, but really about the idea that a dorm room programmer would have this power to have like unlimited resources to build a business. And Mark himself wrote about this very presciently in the Software Eating the World op-ed nearly a decade ago. And then you and your team have written a lot about the shifts of where data changes businesses, motions, and more. So I just love to hear your quick thoughts on what should or shouldn't we be paying attention to when it comes to this news and how much we should read into the signal that cloud is the future. When Jeff Bezos founded Amazon in 1994, he said the question that he was asked most frequently was, what's the internet? And I feel like now we're you know, going to, what's the cloud and why does it matter? AWS is probably the most significant trend in B2B software. I think we've gotten to a point in history where people forget that Amazon largely started cloud. I mean, AWS really was the first scale example of it. They found a way of offering core infrastructure. And when I mean to say infrastructure, I mean compute, network, databases, storage as a service, just like Salesforce does SaaS, apps as a service. And there's two things in this. One of these is they enable the bottom-up motion, which to your point means like anybody that wants to can get access. You didn't have to go to Fry's and buy hardware, you do it online. And the reason this is so significant is the IT market, it's $5 trillion dollars. It's an enormous market, and it's all being upended by as-a-service delivery model. These days, they all offer it as a service, and therefore, it is running in the cloud built on some sort of infrastructure. So Jashi's promotion, it shows how large the market is and how strategic the market is. The entire world is going there, but it also has become one of the most competitive markets, right? There's massive competition with Google and Microsoft. Again, you see Satya at Microsoft, he came from cloud, and you see TK and Google, who came from Oracle to run their clouds. We've got very, very serious executives running very serious multi-billion dollar businesses, and they're really going after the $5 trillion future of IT. So one of the things I'm curious about, we talked about how AWS is really different in so many ways from the rest of the operation and from retail. That also means that even though Amazon has this well-established corporate culture, there might be a separate corporate culture at AWS. So with the ascension of Jassy, what's sort of going on inside the company in terms of that corporate culture question? We don't know what's going on inside Amazon, but Martine, you're certainly familiar with this idea of transitions and M&As having gone through it yourself with Nicera being acquired by uh, VMware. And you know, the joke in media is that three things make a trend, and we've already cited at least three examples. You also mentioned Pat Geisinger, who not only you know from VMware, but who then went back to Intel, right? All the examples that you named, the three is a trend, were groomed from the inside. There's not a single case in this where the succession is from the outside in. Well, I think that the transitions we've talked about are actually very indicative of exactly this question. And I would make one exception, which is 
Pat was at EMC, but not very long before he became CEO of VMware. So he wasn't really a company insider. And while Pat was in Intel, and he's very famously an Intel GM and executive, that's been a long time ago before he came back into Intel. So I would view him as an outsider. When insiders get promoted, it's the least disruptive path you can take. And normally there is some implications at the executive ranks. But I think broadly for culture, it's the least disruptive. It's when you bring in external CEOs where culture is much more of a challenge and more meaningful to the mean employee in an organization. So here's the way that I view it. You can do CEO transitions offensively, defensively, and just to maintain basically the status quo, the same operation. Interesting. So three ways. Right. We can view these transitions in this way. So, for example, in the case of VMware, actually, fun story, Pat and I actually joined VMware on the same day. (laughs) So, you know, I kind of saw like when they came in, but really to focus the company in a certain area and having someone externally makes that easier, right? If you're going to do a transformation or transition or a big refocusing, it's much easier to come in because you don't have kind of the allegiance to the ownership to previous decisions that were being made. You can make the same argument for Pat joining Intel. He's somewhat of an insider because he worked there decades ago, but he's from the outside. But Pat's been the CEO, a very successful CEO of a software business. So for Intel to bring a software guy in, I think is very meaningful about the direction. And the fact that he's external suggests they're very serious about it to me, right? On the other hand, if you look at Satya Nadella and Jassy, it suggests to me that these were insiders, but they were known for certain parts of the business. So it's emphasizing a part of the business that the companies view as strategic or as growth areas. And then in the case of Chuck Robbins, I think this is suggesting that the current motion is working. It's less of an aggressive or a strategic move, and it's more of a strict succession plan. So that's how I would view kind of the three buckets. How do you establish your own identity? Jeff Bezos, obviously an iconic leader. What are some of the challenges to take over for a guy like that? You think of Tim Cook at Apple taking over Steve Jobs, for example, is the other kind of iconic example of that. So here's where I think it really, really, really matters, which is one of the hardest things for a leader to do is to steer a company through a transition or a transformation, keeping the lights on or keeping the current focus. But if you're going through a transformation, let's say, you know, the operating model is shifting from hardware to software, then you've got to really bend the org and you really got to put a lot of pressure on it. And this is something that very famously founders and founding CEOs have been the best at, primarily because they have the power to do it, right? Think Zuckerberg, think Reed Hastings, think Steve Jobs, think Jensen and NVIDIA, who has navigated the transition to AI beautifully, because you have to be able to reach into the org and get the org to bend to a very, very aggressive will. That is the challenge that you have to rise to, rather than somehow trying to look like the previous iconic CEO in the day-to-day operation. So just as a follow-up to that question that Zoran just asked, any quick advice that you have for startups, whether starting out midsize, whatever stage they're at, when should they be thinking about succession planning? Is there like a specific phase where this happens? For instance, is it like this classic idea that we've talked about a lot in the podcast that a CEO goes from a technical to product to sales to go to market ops phase, but that just feels like too neat and patent and linear. When do you think is a good inflection point for leaders to think about Right. Yeah. There's the product phase, the sales phase, and the operation phase. And these phases require different focus from the leadership, right? The product phase is all about building the product, finding product market fit. You have to be piped into the nervous system of the technology, the tech trends, the competitive ecosystem, the market, and the market need. 
Once you have that, you transition to the sales. And this is about building out a repeatable sales process. So this is far more about sales enablement. How do you scale that? How do you do the iteration with the product team? You know, At the end of the sales phase, you should have a sales engine that works from marketing all the way through post-sales. And then there's the operations phase where you really take the complexity of having a product portfolio. It's stuff like dealing with the channel, it's multiple products, it's improving unit economics. And so these transitions require different focus from the leadership team. So they're very natural times to think about succession planning. The important thing is, and it goes to something that I said previously, is while you may bring somebody in as CEO, you should never give up the ability or the influence to navigate a company through transition because a market shift can move you back, say, from operations back into the sales phase or from the sales phase back into the product phase. That will never go away. You may always have to go back to the product phase, so you must retain the ability to still navigate the company through that. Other than that, I think you should hire the leadership that you need, and then it's just a matter of titles. Great. And those who want can read your post to find out more about the psychology and even tactics of doing things like all hands or who should do what, when, and how to even date to figure that out sometimes, which we can find at a6nz.com. So Martine, bottom line it for us, what's the big takeaway here? The big takeaway is that Amazon has an eye on a $5 trillion market, and I don't think the enterprise is going to look anywhere like it did today in a few years. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining this week's episode of 16 Minutes, Martine. Thank you so much. Thanks, Martine.